You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. I'm Reva Chessis. And I'm TJ Winnick. And this is And Then Some. And this is a very exciting podcast for us, Reva, because this is our first recording in person. It is. And of course, our listeners won't know that and won't be able to tell the difference, but it is definitely a milestone for us and one that I'm really excited that we've reached at this point. Yeah, a lot of sort of awkward pre-recording banter going on, (laughs) but it is great to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. And great to see Catherine. Our guest today is the highly esteemed, award-winning journalist and expert crane watcher. Oh my gosh. Y'all are going to make me blush. (laughs) Our (laughs) listeners likely know Catherine as the real estate editor for the Boston Business Journal, a position that she's held for the last six plus years, mm-hmm. prior to which Kevin covered real estate and economic development in North Carolina for the Triad Business Journal. Mm-hmm. And beyond the real estate beat, Catherine's also very passionate about covering topics related to women in business and sharing the best often Boston-specific real estate memes on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> I keep nodding along with you like people can see me, which they obviously can't. So just assume I, I, I agree with, with what we was saying. Yes. <laughs> Catherine, it is so great to have you. Yeah, great to have you here. Thank you Thank so much you. for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. You have been reporting remotely. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you start to get acclimated to normal work life again, if such a thing even exists, Does if we're it? even going back, I don't know. Who knows? Is there anything about reporting during the pandemic that you would like to see continue? For instance, you know, do you prefer Zoom calls over, you know, an old-fashioned phone call? You know, during the pandemic, I really enjoyed being able to attend virtual community meetings or virtual public meetings, but you know, BPDA meetings or pre-file meetings with community groups or neighborhood associations for different developers, because it could get pretty tiring, you know, every night after work to be trekking out to a suburban or not a suburban, but, but, you know, a further flung out neighborhood, uh, you know, a a gym in Southie or a, um, you know, a community space in Newton, just to see, sit in a room and, and listen to a development presentation and often not getting home until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so it's really, I appreciate being able to do that virtually one. So you can plug in your laptop, you can eat some dinner. You're not just chugging coffee on the way to city hall to listen to a meeting for three or four hours. So I appreciate that, but I just having been back in the office for just the past couple of days, it's so exciting to be here in person. I, I went on a tour this morning. There are just, and there are just things you can't do right. virtually that doing in person and uh, doing in person makes such of a difference to be able to walk on site, to watch the cranes, to, to see people's facial expressions and body language and, and that kind of thing. A lot of that goes into reporting in a way that you just lose if you're, if you're just talking across the screen. Yeah. And while it seems like those public meetings will probably always be accessible now mm-hmm. as it's, you know, sort of a no brainer. So the public can actually see what's going on, but also I would think that for you, 
there are opportunities, you know, watching remotely that maybe you don't get, like if you could talk to a source after the meeting or there, follow up with questions and things like that. There are things that you do miss. There's uh, like I mentioned the BPDA meetings, you know, a lot, oftentimes standing out in the hallway during those meetings or before or after those meetings meant that you would get some FaceTime or could grab some folks who maybe wouldn't want to return a phone call or a text after a yay or nay vote. Uh, Or you could get sort of a sense of consensus among either city officials or or, um, members of the community who had come to the vote. So there is an element of there's an element of disconnection there that's tough to make up when you're not in person. However, there are benefits like when you're speaking with someone or when someone's speaking on Zoom, they have their names written out first and last name with the correct spelling. And that's, you know, if you don't recognize someone, they're far across the room. It's tough to, for me as a reporter, just to get someone's name and get, I mean, where, if you're a resident, where are you a resident? That the little kind of reporting things that make a big difference um, can be, you know, it's, it's, it sounds silly, but to see that first name and last name written out is really helpful to identify people in a story. That makes a lot of sense. Pandemic aside, a lot has really shifted within journalism Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. I mean, newsrooms are shrinking, publications are going, you know, increasingly fully digital. Mm -hmm. I'm curious where you see the industry headed and whether you think there's still value in printing paper, like Business <laughs> Journal, for example. Like or, the Business Journal? Boston yeah. Business Journal? Or, other, <laughs> <laughs> or other newspapers, right? Now, I definitely think there is still, you know, a path to be forged in meeting readers where readers are. And maybe those readers aren't necessarily readers. Maybe they're watching TikToks. Like, you know, um, Dave Jorgensen at the Washington Post has a fantastic TikTok page where he transforms the news of the post into this video form. And it's hugely popular. And there's all sorts of studies about how Gen Z, I guess, uh, Zillennials, who, who, yeah. who, who knows, uh, the Gen Gen Z is that that's a majority of where that of where a majority of them are getting their news. They're not necessarily reading their Facebook pages like your boomer parents are for for news. So I think the foundation of journalism being being an avenue for accurate, objective storytelling, telling people what they need to know when they need to know it. I don't think that will ever go away. There is there is always a need for people who can accurately tell a story in a way that people that that reaches people where they are. And the, it's the reaching people where they are bit that is still people are, I think are still figuring out. I personally, I love having a physical copy of something to read. You know, it, it I'm sure we've all experienced in the pandemic, you know, the headaches after staring at screens all day. It, it, it I, I appreciate having a physical copy, either if it's a book, if it's a newspaper, if it's a magazine, to be able to sit down and, and just read something that's not my phone. However, it's unwieldy if you're commuting on the T or if you're riding a bus or or uh, to to pull out the, the big newspaper. And, and uh, so if you have it on your phone, that can make for easy scrolling. So I think finding a middle ground is is always going to, is, is going to be key, but it's finding a way to pay for that, finding a, a successful, uh, 
business model is still something that is slightly elusive. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, when you think about how we're meeting people where they are when it comes to reporting, that would either, like you said, create an entirely new job Mm -hmm. for someone. You know, we we have someone who's doing the traditional written content for the digital side. And Mm -hmm. then we have someone who's doing the TikTok Mm -hmm. breakdown because that's a skill that people are still very much learning. It's an entirely different skill set. And and there and it can seem kind of silly because you know TikTok inherently is kind of a silly name, but it's there's real time and skill and effort that goes into this, you know, in terms of composing and framing a shot and and creating a transition and, and writing the text for it. You know, even knowing where it goes within the frame so you grab readers when they're scrolling across their pages. So it's just it's really dynamic and it's really exciting. And it's a way to reach people in a way that they haven't been reached previously on, on the news side of things. Yeah, it's almost like when I remember when when Twitter first became a thing, obviously, <laughs> um, I was all of a sudden in college uh, learning how to make tweets mm-hmm. that were headlines, you know, kind of because that was how do you boil down a story to however many characters? Uh, Is it 140 to start and now 280? Right. Least. So I'm like a true journalist. I spend <laughs> way too much time on Twitter. <laughs> Everyone had to adapt to that because you're right. It's like meeting people where they are, adapting to how do we how do we turn this piece of content and then make it reflect what the new way that people are consuming their news is. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll get to that a little bit more uh, in our later questions. But it's definitely an interesting point and figuring out how the business model works within that. Um, it's always yeah. the question. Yeah, it's always the question. Yeah, when you walked in, I complimented you on your. Uh, your your Twitter activity for the past 48 hours, which has been pretty well, prolific. And I have to say that you you really are, I think, a journalist who has cultivated a really nice brand and that folks can go to your feed and know they're going to get real estate news, but also, you know, that there's going to be some fun. You don't take yourself too seriously. So it's like a good time. Well, thanks. I try not to. Twitter allows for a lot of things. Twitter allows sometimes for a lot of time wasting, uh, which can be, you know, sometimes you have to put a timer on to say like no more Twitter after X. But then also it can be a really useful fount of information. You know, folks live tweeting from trials or or other events where it's difficult to get to in person or there's not a live stream. So, So to have a reporter on the ground to be able to say, this is what's happening now. This is who's speaking now can be a really useful tool just to say, this is what's happening where I am right now on the ground. I'll often do things like I'll live tweet an earnings call, uh, you know, for either, you know, Boston properties or Alexandria real estate or, or things where I'll write down what I'm hearing when I, when I hear the folks speaking, but then I'll also be able to use that as a jumping off point to formulate a story later to say, okay, I want to go back and check on one, two, three, four that I may not have right at the tip of my tongue uh, when I'm, when I get off the call, just because there's so much information, but at the same time, it can just be a really funny place. You know, sometimes renderings are silly and you see them all the time. And there's, you know, if, if there's, somebody doing something silly or somebody, uh, you know, just kind of a, a joke that's there. It's, I try to add some levity to it because a lot of times in real estate, it can be really serious conversations about displacement and gentrification and, and, uh, and really, really difficult topics. And so to add some lightheartedness when it's appropriate, when it's there is something that I truly 
I, I enjoy because I, I just, you know, I want to enjoy my day to day and I enjoy looking at renderings and kind of poking, poking fun a little bit. And, and it's not meant to insult anybody. I'm sorry, any architects who, if, I, if you've been, if you've been upset by, by the renderings, but you know, none of our clients, well, let's, let's hope not. Uh, but if I'm on the ground and I see a crane nearby, it's like crane watch in real time. I can prove that I'm on the ground. I'm I'm in the neighborhoods that I'm reporting on. And now coming back from remote reporting, it's just that much more exciting to be on the ground and saying, this is how real estate, this is how commercial real estate, this is how this industry is shaping the neighborhoods where you live, work, and play. And that is really exciting. You know, your passion for the industry comes across. And I'm just thinking about if you love real estate, being the real estate beat reporter for the Boston Business Journal in the first half of the 21st century on the heels of the big dig being completed when yes. all of this land, additional land is available for development that wasn't previously, or maybe it just wasn't as desirable. I mean, this has to be like the greatest job in the world. There's big news every single day. Every day. There is never a dull day on this job. And that's one thing that I love so much about not just being the real estate editor at, at the BBJ, but just being a journalist in general is there's so much, there's so much to learn. There's so much to ask about. You know, I, one of my biggest joys in this job is that I get to ask really smart people questions about things that they're passionate about. And that when you, when you tap into something that people really love, that just that just makes it so much of so much of a joy to to have that experience and have that conversation and that can be also you know something that can be really difficult if if you're sitting down and talking with a neighbor who or a community member who has you know hey my landlord tripled my rent and my family has been here for 50 years and we've had to leave and so there are there's a lot of there's a lot of of just pure relationship driven kind of experiences that come out of this this kind of job. And it's something that I feel astonishingly lucky and grateful to do every day. Not to sound like too much of a suck up to my bosses, but I really do love my job. And and it, it just, I get to do stuff like I climbed a tower crane in the seaport. Who does that? Like if you're not, if that's not something you have to do every day, like that's super freaking cool. I get to see, go up to, you know, do these hard hat tours with folks just because I say, hey, it seems really interesting. Can I get up there with, with my photographer? And, and to be able to have a view of the city that so many people will never get to see, but then I, through my reporting, can try to bring it to them. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely, uh, definitely comes across. And my apologies. I think I referred to you as the beat reporter. Uh, you are the real estate editor. You can still be a beat reporter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm whatever. I, I'm wearing a number of different hats, you know, and all of the above, all of the above. Well, and it is, I mean, you know, a beat reporter is, is, that's how I, I identify myself really just because it's, it's, you know, real estate is the beat and real estate is just an overwhelming, a lot of stuff all the time. So that's, that's how I ID myself. <laughs> so I want to take it back to the social media yes. conversation, because again, we're just talking about how it plays such a large part in how we report and also consume news. Mm -hmm. So as a journalist, what, in your opinion, is the most important platform to be on in terms of social media as a journalist and then as a general consumer of news? Mm -hmm. Well, I think social media is so 
deeply personalized. You know, your my Facebook feed is a majority of dogs and babies and engagements and like birthdays. And that's pretty much it. But for my father, who's almost 70, his Facebook page is a lot of where he's gets seeing a lot of news stories. So that it can, it, I think it can, I think there's a lot of kind of generational trends, but also it, they can be so highly curated that it really does come down to the individual. But for me personally, I find that Twitter is a way that I can, I can use it both as sort of a digest for myself to say, these are things that I want to check into. These are things that I want to read in following a lot of journalists in the area, important people on my beat in the area, uh, you know, public officials and other things. It can be a way to say, oh, hey, I hadn't noticed that story. Let me flag this and I'll email it to myself and I'll follow up on it later. I think as a general news consumer, you can take a platform like Twitter. You could take a platform like Instagram. You could take a platform like LinkedIn or like Facebook and really make it what you want. And I am always an advocate for uh, diversifying your news sources. So if you want to have, if you want to have news sources from a more conservative point of view, have also have news sources from a more liberal point of view and try to find the somewhere in between. And, and having on Twitter, I, I appreciate the ability to, to follow individual reporters who sometimes are showing what it's like on the ground and behind the scenes of actually kind of doing the job of creating the news. I, you know, the, the New York Times had a really interesting commercial of, um, you know, showing how the, the progress of an actual story from start to finish of, of, you know, sending reporters to travel somewhere and how they did the job reporting and then they did the job editing and then how it got to the, the front page of the paper. And I think it's incumbent on journalists to be able to show more of that, of how, how a story comes to be, that it's not just some person picks up the phone and calls and says, I've got a story and then it's in the newspaper. Like there's, there's so much more behind it. And so, I think Twitter can be a helpful place to to show the progression of that and then also saying, hey, here's the final product. That is a really interesting point just about how customized our news feeds are. Mm -hmm. I say it to myself and to my friends all the time, like this is this is what I'm seeing in my echo chamber. Mm -hmm. Are you guys seeing the same thing? Mm -hmm. You know, like because we really do all have, you know, cultivated pretty much the opinions that we want to see and the perspectives that we want to hear. So I, I think that's a really great point that it's on us, at least at this point, because there aren't really rules about the algorithm. Right. You know, well, and, and there, and it's interesting that, you know, it's interesting the different kinds of conversations that can happen on Twitter. You know, there's media Twitter, there's writer Twitter, there's housing Twitter, there's politics Twitter, there's, there's everything uh, you know, every kind of, of conversation can happen on this platform. And so, and that can be really, really bad in many ways. And it can be something that could be positive in, in, in a lot of ways. And so not to sound too wishy-washy wimble-mimble, but it, but it really does depend on your individual choice and, and that individual choice and, and um, making it something that's curated and personalized to you. And relevant to you. And relevant to you. 
you know, not necessarily like I follow Krispy Kreme donuts and Dunkin' Donuts because I used to live in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Krispy Kreme is much more of a thing down there. And 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 that's kind of a running joke on, you know, now Krispy Kreme's trying to make a comeback in Massachusetts and lots of Dunks fans are up and you know, things things like that. That is that it's it's you know, it's kind of it's it's kind of silly, but it's it's the stuff of everyday life. And that and that's where finding that that middle ground between some of that levity and, and some of that seriousness is. It's an, it's an everyday, you know, every day is a new day kind of thing. No offense, uh, fans of Tim Horton. We uh, we love you too. <laughs> Catherine, our final question, and I can't believe this is our final question because it feels like things have gone, things have moved really quickly. Yeah, this has been a fast one. Yeah. We could talk for hours too. I know, I love talking with you. It's, it's so much fun to have conversations in person, I can't tell you. <laughs> so our final question is, is one that we ask... Um, any reporter when we have a chance to speak with them. And that is, where do you stand on press releases? Oh boy. Are they still valuable tools for reporters or should we as PR professionals retire them altogether? Oh boy. And you can be honest. Okay. I have a number of thoughts about this. A well-written press release is a very useful tool. However, not all press releases are well-written. And in that, I mean, I don't mean in the, the narrative and the flow of the, of the actual document. I mean, well-written in the way that it gets me, a journalist, the information that I need. And in many times, especially in real estate reporting, I know that there are things that clients say, I don't want you to say an address. I don't want you to say a purchase price. I don't want you to say who the buyer is or, or things like that. And, and that that makes it that makes me then need to go through different hoops, oftentimes to find information that's a public record. And that is something that I find just very frustrating. And so just Completely honestly. <laughs> so, are, are there developers that actually put the purchase price in a document? Well, a purchase price for say, um, you know, I'll say I'll get a, a, a release from a brokerage that's XYZ client has bought ABC property from one, two, three person. And then I'll email back and say, hello, can you confirm the purchase price? And then, oh, sorry, we can't. And that, that's what I mean. Or, um, you know, I had, I had, uh, the other day, a, a residential brokerage emailed me, um, that, you know, a, a gorgeous new listing, beautiful neighborhood. Here are all the photos. And I said, great. What's the address? Oh, sorry. The buyer, the, the owner doesn't want the address out there. And I'm thinking I can't possibly feature a residential listing without the address of that actual residential listing. So there are things where I understand that. There are client-driven things, but that as as a journalist makes makes it more frustrating. You would prefer a heads up. I would prefer a call or a text just to say, hey, this I can't give you this. Um, a lot of times, what uh, not to make clients <laughs> angry, but like a lot of times I'll I'll just say, well, okay, how can we work together? You know, can you tell me the name of the LLC that they use to buy the property? Can you tell me the physical address? Because sometimes it shows up differently in the Suffolk County deed website versus on Google Maps or something. Can you help help me out here so I can find this document? That's that's the mark of a relationship with with PR that I appreciate. You know, my uh, my colleague Jessica Bartlett always refers to uh, refers to it as good 
PR is like being a really good server in a restaurant. It's like you you offer me things that I need, things that I may not have wanted, that I may not have thought about, but that, you know, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Showing up when I might need some things, but also taking a step back when I am in a conversation and clearly don't want to be interrupted to be asked for more drinks or something versus sometimes it can be like a bouncer where every answer is no, or there's, there's, you're blocked off. And, and that's, and that's where, that's where it's frustrating. And, and I do find for press releases, there are things like, there are things like quotes that can be helpful to have for a story to, to add some, some voice. If, if it's, if it's a situation where I can't speak with a person either on the phone or if I can't speak with them in person, I don't want to not have a voice in the story. So there's definitely room for that, but it's also sometimes it's easier just to get an email with a bulleted list of, Hey, here's, I know you're going to ask these 15 questions. Here's the answers to these 15 questions. And here's a quote you can use at the end. Like that, that is something that I think could be maybe a bit better, uh, a bit better use of everyone's time. And I hope I wasn't insulting when I said the server thing. Not, I think not at it. all. Okay. I was, okay. yeah, I was actually a server and it's actually good advice for our younger colleagues when we Tell them just don't drop the dishes. Right, right, <laughs> right. Or, or, or just you know, just to to recognize that there's there's a bit of a dance that, that that goes on, and there's you know there's the introduction, and then there's the the backing off while they're doing the work. But uh, let's just check in. Do you need anything like that? I think that there's it can sometimes be or you know kind of a stereotype of sort of an adversarial relationship, and that's not it at all. You know, there there are the the. Uh, journalism and PR industries really rely on each other in in, in really deep ways, and and respecting that, I think that I think the baseline just needs to be a level of respect from from all sides. I do, yeah, I do a lot of crisis and issues management work, and that's the case even when this, you know, there is a little bit of mm-hmm. a natural adversarial relationship because the client's on the defensive. Mm-hmm. But I, as the PR person in between, say. What do you need? Mm-hmm. I'm not a spokesperson, but I'll try and facilitate communication between you and the, you know, the brand or the organization so that you can get what you need to write your story. Right. This is what they're going to give you. Oh, can they answer this or this? They, you know what? They don't want to. This mm-hmm. is what this is what they have. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks. Because I feel like, especially in, you know, in any city or if you work in one industry, you're always going to come across the same reporters and you're going to come across the same right. PR people over and over again. Well, and Boston's a small town. You know, the, right. Boston is a big city with a with a small town feel. And, yeah. and, and there's, you know, especially in real estate, there's it is a, a, a sometimes a surprisingly insular community. And so if you just came out like a brash jerk, it just wouldn't work. And so that's one thing that I have appreciated about you know, coming coming from the south, being introduced to the city in in the winter of 2015 when it was you know the worst winter in the history of winters, but but to to see how relationship driven so much of the of the city is, and and how there's a lot of respect for um, you know for kind of the the craft of journalism, and 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 that's something that I very much appreciate about about the city of Austin. The respect thing also, I feel, I mean, obviously the baseline of respect, completely agree with you. It's it's the foundation for any good relationship. And it also goes on our end, then back to our clients to, you know, if we have that relationship and we can say back to them, you know, this is a story that they're interested in, but you know what? It's earnings day right now and they aren't able to get to it. And we need to just wait a few days. Absolutely. And for us to be able to 
have that understanding and, you know, to be able to communicate back and say, we, we'll make this happen and we're all on the same page about that, but it's going to have to be at this time rather than this time to level set expectations is also really valuable for us on that. Exactly. Well, just, and just, I mean, managing expectations and just keeping that line of communication open just to say, Hey, I am interested. I don't have bandwidth right now. If you can't, if, if you need to go out broadly, I totally get it. Like just having that level of just kind of, uh, of actual and open line of communication and not just saying we're going to have an open line of communication can make a big difference between an okay relationship and a really good one. And that's the key to success. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Definitely. Well, time has really flown. I know. Oh my goodness. So, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks y'all so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And we appreciate y'all. <laughs> I can't shake it, man. My favorite word. If you enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media. Solomon McCowan Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCowan on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. And that's it for now. We will see you soon. Bye-bye.